0: This is Sacred Tension, a podcast where we explore the spiritual discipline of asking questions about life, faith, and science. My name is Stephen Long. Now, in this episode, I'm interviewing Chris Shelton. He was in the Church of Scientology for nearly three decades, and he was a member of the Sea Org, the upper clergy of the church, for 17 years. Now, I I find myself drawn to Chris's story because Scientology is a sort of surreal, through-the-looking-glass alternate dimension through which we're able to examine our own faiths and religions and assumptions and what strikes me about chris's journey is not how alien it is but how similar and this provides me with a catalyst to look hard at my own religious assumptions and upbringing i hope that it is equally provocative for you Now, I conduct this conversation assuming that most of my listeners have a basic working knowledge of the Church of Scientology. To get into all of that in this interview would have just been too much. I wouldn't have been able to get to the particulars of Chris's journey. Knowledge of the Church is kind of ubiquitous on the internet. And so you can Google the Church of Scientology if you do happen to be ignorant of what the Church is. For our purposes here, really all you need to know is that it is the most malicious and dangerous cult. Chris now works as a podcaster and YouTuber, really examining the capacity for human bias and how we get into cults in the first place and how we believe crazy things in the first place and how easy it is to find ourselves indoctrinated. So he does really great work. His podcast is the Sensibly Speaking podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And now I give you Chris Shelton. All right, so Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, it's uh, it's a pleasure. So I have heard you on several other podcasts. I've heard some of your story. You have a fascinating story going into Scientology and coming out of it. I would love to hear some of your experience first. How you got into Scientology? Sure, I was raised in it.
1: I uh, okay, I, yeah, I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, like many you know kids in america and and around the world you know when you're born into uh or your parents early on get involved in something then hey guess what that's your religion too you know and uh that's kind of how i came about into the world of scientology i was 4 years old when my parents got involved and they had actually been divorced and they uh they my my uncle got my dad involved he got my mom involved and then they did some Scientology stuff, and they ended up getting back together, and then they ended up working for the organization, and I grew up in the middle of all that, and so the lingo of it and the ideas of it, you know, sort of were just in my environment, and, uh, and, and then when I was about 15 years old, I was in high school, and my dad said, well, you know, I was sort of, it was sort of something they did. And I knew about it, and I knew about the principles of it, but it wasn't like my thing totally, you know, until I was 15, and my dad said, well, why don't you go check it out for yourself and see what it's all about? And I was like, well, okay, I got nothing better to do today. And it was summer vacation, you know, <laughs> and 1985, and I went down to the, the church in Santa Barbara, and I did their personality test, and I, you know, had this... uh beautiful blonde woman tell me all about myself and and how shy and introverted I was and how I didn't, you know, had a hard time talking to girls and had a hard time getting dates. And I was, you know, I thought this was very insightful stuff when I was 15, you know, like, wow, how does she know <laughs> that about me? You know, how
0: could, how could uh-huh. she
1: possibly read
0: me this way, you know? So she was doing some cold reading, basically.
1: Well, warm reading, you could say, because the test gives okay. you the personality test gives them something to go on. It gives them some starting point to go in on you. And um, okay, and and I was, you know, a lot more of an open. It wasn't for years later until I realized what an open book I was when I sat down. And you know, what fifteen-year-old nerdy kid in high school has, you know, is does does is not is the kid who doesn't have problems with girls, right? I mean, it was not. It was not like super insightful to, to, to be telling me this stuff, but I, you know, when you're 15, you think you're, you know, you're all that, and uh, and so I didn't know that I was so obvious about, you know, how, how bad off I was. So anyway, that kind of got me convinced that I needed to take one of their communication courses, and I I proceeded to do so, and then I took a study course, and then I took some other Scientology courses, and gradually just kind of got on board with it. And that's mm. kind of how that's that's kind of how it started.
0: Sure. So you were raised in it, so it was never unusual to you. It was totally normal. It was your foundational worldview, you could say.
1: Absolutely, the idea of um, L. Ron Hubbard being a smart guy. I mean, there were pictures of him around. You know, we didn't have a shrine to him at our home or something. But when you walk into any Church of Scientology, you're you're, you're surrounded by pictures of the guy. So I. I knew about him, and I knew about the reactive mind, which was a Dianetics principle, and I knew about the idea of being a spiritual being, or a, what they call a thetan in Scientology, right, your true spiritual self, and I knew about, you know, the idea of getting auditing or counseling, that was something that, that Scientologists did, and and classes they took, so this was all familiar territory to me, but I didn't know any of the real specifics of it until I started doing classes myself.
0: So to you, you just took the teachings for granted. It was, it was totally ordinary to you.
1: Yes, it was. Okay. Um, it was not. Uh, now, also keep in mind that, the, uh, that, that we're talking about the fundamental ideas of Scientology, not Xenu, not any of that stuff. People get very funny ideas about what scientologists think because of South Park and because of some of the things that fly around on the internet where right. most of that stuff that flies around on the internet are the high level confidential teachings of Scientology that that people don't get you know exposed to until they've been involved with it for years and have paid hundreds of thousands even millions of dollars For the various services. So I didn't grow up thinking that there was some galactic overlord named Xenu who blew up everybody in volcanoes. That's not, that was no part of my upbringing. There was nothing cray cray like that in, in my
0: upbringing. Sure. So, yeah, and that's actually something that I got a lot of questions about on Twitter because I tweeted out that, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing a former Scientologist. Do you have any questions you'd like me to ask him? I got a lot of questions that we can maybe go over later, but that was one of the questions is how on earth did you get into this and how did you how could you believe this? And it's really easy standing on the outside being someone who isn't invested in this system to to see how patently absurd this whole experience or how this belief system is. It's, it's so easy for people on the outside, uh, maybe where I am, to look in and say, this is absolutely ridiculous. How can you believe this? You must be an idiot to get in. But there's this... There's the human element that's missing, which is that it's a gradual process. Many people are raised in it or are given those initial basic fundamental teachings, which are really appealing. And maybe we can talk about those uh, in a bit. Uh, And then by the time you do get to Zenu, it's like you're in. You've given millions of dollars. You've been absorbed into this thing, into this entity. And so to me, it's really understandable how people could believe that.
1: Very, very much so. You, yeah, you're nailing it. That's exactly right. It's um, and it's comparable to any other religious idea or belief. If you if you were to walk up to anyone on the street, I think uh, just about anyone, you know, we're fairly rational and say, uh, look, if you imbibe a cracker and drink some wine every week. You're contributing to the 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 resurrection of of the man who died for your sins thousands of years ago, so that you can lead a good and wholesome life.
0: Yeah, you and might it's the literal them, body and blood. Yeah, the literal. You might
1: look at the literal Christ. Few. Yeah, you know, you <clears throat> might go, "Hey, wait a minute. What do you mean that's the literal body of Christ? What are you, what are you talking about? That sounds crazy." You know. Uh, and yet, there are millions and upon millions upon millions of people who do just that every single week. And to me, that sounds nuts. But it doesn't sound nuts to them. It sounds yes. like the the one in, the one true way. The only, you know, Jesus is the Lord and Savior, and and this is how we uh, recognize that. You know, is is by doing this ritual and you go okay well that's that's crazy but they go yeah no it's not crazy it's the only thing that makes any sense and you go okay you know so so it so it's really a matter of perspective you know and i'm yes. not justifying or making scientology right i'm just saying that our capacity for accepting some pretty crazy sounding things uh, is pretty high depending on how depending on how we are raised and what our biases are what what our systems of belief are from a very young age that's you know the threshold of of acceptance is you know that the bar is pretty low for human beings uh, you know unless they're using some 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 really good c- critical thinking skills and not too many of us are raised with that as our as our springboard you know as our judgment factor yeah. right we we're raised with all kinds of goofy beliefs and that we all have accepted as the way the the good way to raise kids, you know, with, let's raise them with uh you know with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and these various mythical creatures and fairy tales and these kind of things and and then wonder why it is that it, you know 30 40 years old we're you know eating crackers and drinking wine and thinking we're you know, we're really <laughs> we're really down with the body of Christ you know it's like okay and you know, and and people can get all offended about that, but I'm just pointing out that, sure, you know that that it's a relative thing. They're they're all a little yes. nuts, you know. All of yes. this stuff is a little bit nuts, and and Scientology is 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 no exception to that rule. It's totally nuts, but it's yeah, but it's beginning entry level ideas are really based mostly on common sense, and they and no one would get involved with it if you were feeding them the zenu stuff from day one so so that doesn't even come close to what people are hearing when they first walk into a scientology organization and start looking at well what is this and what can it do for me they're going to hear stuff that actually sounds a lot more reasonable sounds like it makes a lot more sense and is a lot more acceptable you know and that's yeah. and that was what i was hearing when i was 15 and that's what you know that's how they get people drawn into it in the first place
0: yeah so those basic teachings what draws you into it in the first place it sounds like a really efficient self-help course to yeah. me
1: that's 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 exactly how they how, that's exactly how they present it you walk in and the personality test these there's 200 questions they ask you in this in this supposedly scientific test right that gives you this graph of your personality and I mean, it's, it's total bunk. I mean, I've done a whole video just on that test to show mm. what nonsense it is. But you take this test and you get this graph and, it, and then they sit you down and they do a test evaluation with you and they basically are using the test in order to get you to trust them to open up and start talking about yourself. And if you do that, if you start talking about yourself and what problems you're having in life and what things you're trying to deal and cope with. Uh, you are giving them the ammunition they need to then go, "Oh well, you're having this issue with your wife oh you're you you can't relate to your kids, oh, you are having trouble at work and you think you're gonna lose your job at any moment whatever the, the whatever the real world very practical problem is that you're having, they call that your ruin, the thing that's ruining your life, the thing that you know you 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 must change in order to be happy, right? That's what your ruin is. And that's what they're looking for, is they're looking for your ruin. And if you give it to them, which everybody, you know, not everybody, but uh, everybody who ends up signing up for services, you know, gives them, if you give them the information that they need, they then turn that around and go, okay, so, you know, you're having this problem and this problem and this problem. Well, it looks like this thing here, you know, your relationship with your kids, let's say, Looks like this is really just impacting your life in a very negative way, and and it's something you could really use some help with. And the guy sits there and goes, "Well, yeah, of course, and that's why I just told you all about it because I I really don't know what to do about it." And they go, "Great. Well, guess what? We have a course that can address that and handle it so that you no longer have that problem." Mm. And you know, in the second that you know they say that. Just like what I did when I was 15, your, your, your proper response is to go, oh, my God, really? You can handle that? You can do something about that? And you pay your 50 bucks or your 100 bucks to do the class. It's not a big investment, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. You're like, well, let's give this a go. Let's give it a try. Let's see. And since most of their principles and ideas for handling that kind of stuff are pretty common sense principles... You know, you take a class on how to deal with kids and it's all about, you know, hey, talk to your kids, listen to your kids, relate to your kids, you know, sit them down. Let's, you know, have conversations with your kids, care about your kids. You know, these kinds of principles are what the course is all about. Then you go home and you listen to your kids, you talk to your kids and you try this out and hey, sure enough, wow, they respond in a positive Mm. way to being listened to, you know, and. Oh my God, Scientology must work now. This is amazing, miraculous stuff, right? And hmm. and you credit all of the benefit that you just got from, you know, very common sense advice to L. Ron Hubbard and to Scientology, and that gets you to sign up for, you know, the next service and then the next one and the next one. And before you, you know, you know it, you're you're starting to get some kind of crazy principles being thrown your way, but you've bought into it to such a degree that the gradually you, you know, buy into the whole
0: thing. I can really relate to that growing up because I was gay. I am gay. I grew up gay in the evangelical culture and I perceived my sexual orientation as this great thorn. You know, it's often Uh, portrayed as like the the thorn in the side and I would go to these leaders and they would say well so you're dealing with a lot of anxiety over this issue here's how you fix it here's how you get rid of it here are the prayers you say here are the books you read here are the conferences you go to and my ecstatic response was oh my god here's a solution to this thing that I don't want in my life.
1: Exactly. And
0: and then, you know, I would, and so I would go through prayer ministry or I would go through an exorcism or I would pray the right prayers and read the right books. And I did get something from it. You know, there was this sense of peace and this sense of consolation. And I would say, oh, well, I guess it's working now. And, you know, what, what really strikes me talking to you is not how alien your experience is in Scientology because I think that's the impression a lot of people get is that it's this weird, crazy alien experience that is just totally unrelatable to, you know, ordinary people like us, like me, what I What I take away from our conversations is just how similar our experiences are, even though they're in totally different religions, totally different settings. I'm really surprised by how much I relate to what you say and the process of of entering into a religion and then and then eventually leaving it. That's what I find really fascinating.
1: Absolutely. I do as well. I've 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 come to study this subject. In, in quite a bit of, of depth over the last few years since I got out of Scientology in 2013. And you can't help but start finding commonalities between various religious activities and eventually between all activities, between any social activities that human beings engage in. There are these common factors. And when extremism enters in and, and becomes part of it, then you also find commonalities between the various extremist groups and 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 how people you know n- nobody nobody joins a cult nobody knowingly comes in and says oh i want to be part of this cult nobody joins an extremist group thinking that's what they're doing you know they join these groups and it's it's always a gradual process of indoctrination and acceptance and there are all kinds of social and uh, intellectual points of indoctrination and acceptance. And this is true for any religion, any group, a sports group, a political group, a you know, martial arts club, an acting class. I mean, all of these groups are capable of moving into an extremist point of view or going into you know, an indoctrination mode where the leader becomes far more important than he should be. And the group becomes far more important to its members than it should be because it starts taking on a, um, well, people's priorities start getting a little out of whack when they start putting too much importance into almost anything. You know, and one could imagine an extremist, you know, I mean, just as a ridiculous example, I mean, not even based on anything real world, but, you know, one could imagine a, a Boy Scout troop Becoming an extremist activity. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't it would be a lot easier than than most people think. Uh if you if you were a, a Boy Scout leader who had some you know nefarious ideas and didn't have a whole lot of morality, to turn that Boy Scout group into a Hitler youth group would not really be that hard. And when you start finding out the principles in play and the psychology in play. It's kind of scary, in fact, how easy it would be. So that's been my study for the last few years. And, and uh, so what you're saying there, totally, it, it's totally true. There, there, there are uh, a lot of common, there's a lot of common ground between all these various activities.
0: Yeah, and you know what I take away from that is that the human condition is by its nature delusional, I Maybe that's too strong. <laughs> maybe that's taking it too far. But we are we are inherently prone to delusion and we are relational creatures. And OK, so this is just my theory kind of thinking about my own process and and how I have gone through this deconstruction of my own faith. And coming to terms with science, is that science is really a very recent invention. It's a very recent discovery for the human mind. And understanding the world through the lens of science, I think, is a new and, for many people, uncomfortable way of seeing the world. Because we are not good at Seeing objectively and empirically, we tend to put greater weight on things like eyewitness testimony and on relationship. And so authority and truth for us come in the context of relationship. And so this is a huge shift, I feel like, that, that we're going through as a species of a new way of understanding truth. And we're prone to value truth within the context of relationship and community. And that's how we understand truth. But that also means that we are prone to a lot of delusion.
1: I would agree with you. And I don't know that that's too strong a term. I mean, when you you know look at some of the more outlandish things that people will buy into, including the fact that, you know, the earth is flat, uh, oh. you know, you, you start wondering about, you know, the, and these are, you know, I, I, just, I just went last week, I just went to a, a flat earth meeting. And, oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean I went, I would
0: love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, and I I you know, I I posted about it on Facebook and stuff. I I've made two videos addressing flat earthers and uh and denialism, right? Which is which is a a a vague shadow of critical thinking. It it's denialism is the idea that you are, you know, the people who engage in denialism think they're being critical thinkers. But what they're doing is they're denying actual fact and evidence in favor of their biases. And and they do, and this is what flat earthers are all about is, you know, they just write off whole subject matter, whole areas of evidence and facts. They just
0: write it off because it doesn't yeah. fit their bias, right? I think that's putting it lightly, writing off, I don't know, the past five centuries. But anyway, go on. Well, yeah.
1: but that's that. And that's why we call it denialism. They call it critical thinking. And this yeah. is and this is a very very important distinction because it's not critical thinking, but it's but they use the terms of critical thinking, they use the concepts of critical thinking, like questioning things, being uh, skeptical, being you know not not being dogmatic, not bowing to authority, you know they'll use logical fallacies in a in a way that it itself is lo- it becomes a logical fallacy. It's absolutely fascinating. As a psychological study and the and the reasons for it have to do with our with bias you know they 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 happen to have some pretty outlandish biases and I went to a meeting of theirs because i'd studied studied them online, looked into the activities, looked into the history of it, and made a whole video about it and I came to the conclusion that that there are two basic reasons that flat earthers you know think what they think, and one of them is religious fervor and the other one is a is a level of of paranoia that I think is very unhealthy and it's one or both of these things combine into this idea that the that the earth is flat it's sort of the ultimate conspiracy theory is actually what it what it becomes and i so i thought well they're having this meeting you know up in uh, fort collins so i drove out there and and sat down with them and i just watched and listened i didn't argue i didn't debate and um, and it was quite interesting and very confirmatory. I was absolutely right, but I, um, you know, in in my conclusions. But I wanted to meet them in person because online talking to people like that is 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 not a very trustworthy experience because you don't know who you're talking to. You don't, you know, they could be misrepresenting themselves or they don't even really tell you much about themselves. And I've come to learn also that there are people who just have a good laugh. Pretending to be flat earthers and, and, you know, riling people up and, and, uh, you know, sort of spinning them up on purpose and, and just trolling around on, on channels for, for lulls, right? So I didn't want to talk to those people. And, and when you go engage with somebody in real life, it's that, that's not the kind of person who shows up at one of those meetings. These are true believers, you know? So it was an interesting experience, but a confirmatory experience, but also enlightening in terms of, how and why people will go to these extremist beliefs, you know? And that's, you know, getting back to Scientology, it could be considered fairly extremist. And, and it's no surprise to therefore find that in the world of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard was a conspiracy nut. You know, he, he was a conspiracy theorist. He was one, I mean, back before it was mm-hmm. even popular to be a conspiracy theorist. This, I'm talking 1960s. He was developing huge global conspiracy theories, which were later, you know, uh, other people in the 70s and maybe related to Hubbard and maybe not. uh, You know, you get the book None Dare Call It Conspiracy in 1970, right? And you get these other, you know, conspiracy, global conspiracy theories, and the, and that which lead to the Bilderbergers and all this other nonsense, 9 11 truthers, you know, all this uh, springs from this, this mindset. Of us versus them, of the you know can't trust authority, of the governments are are all out to get us, and and sure there's there's always kernels of truth in in not trusting authority, and and in, and in the idea that people can become corrupt when they're given too much power and and, a, and money, but to take it to these extremes is you know is is to deny reality and that's where the denialism comes
0: in. Sure. Yeah, now you're getting into my territory because for several years I was a diehard conspiracy theorist and, you know, I was convinced in college that that the world was going to end in 2012. I was mm-hmm. I was convinced That a shadow government was controlling the world and that we were all going to be killed and or sent to FEMA camps. I mean, I was convinced of all of this. And this is why I have, I guess, great empathy for people in cults and in extremist groups and in um, even groups like Flat Earthers, as insane as that sounds to me, because I've been there. And I've just learned about myself over the years, how impressionable my own brain is and how malleable my thoughts are. And that's been a that has been part of my growing up experience is a lot of self-reflection and realizing that my brain is not this perfect instrument that perceives reality clearly. It's a very malleable and easily deceived instrument. Part of the reason why I believed in conspiracy theories was because I had PTSD. I was in a shooting when I was 19. I witnessed the death of two of my friends and I was almost killed myself. And I lived with this really horrible, horrible PTSD, which made me hyper-vigilant. It made me terrified of everything. I was terrified of the entire world. That was in, you know, Scientologists' terms, my ruin. That was the thorn in my side. And when being so ridden with PTSD, so paranoid, I, I, I found myself believing these outward claims about the world that conformed to that paranoid and damaged sense that I had within myself. And so I was basically hanging fruit for conspiracy theorists. I was pre-made the PTSD conditioned me and the paranoia I had the fear of anything anything terrible happening at any time and it's totally unexpected and there's no way to control it that made a shadow government and the Illuminati and FEMA camps and the end of the world in 2012 seem very likely to me. And looking back now, I recognize how my entire perception of the world was shifted because of that and how easily a cult could have gotten a hold of me. So we've talked about flat earthers. We've talked about Scientology. What I take away, and conspiracy theories, what I take away from this discussion is not that these are Fringe experiences, even though they are perceived as such, but that we all have the capacity to believe this stuff anyone can be fooled and It is a catalyst. It is an invitation to examine the beliefs that we take for granted and you know, I I think a lot of religious people uh, from older traditions need to look at something like Scientology and then take a good hard look at their own faith and it can be a good refining process. That isn't to say that they will stop being Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or whatever or Muslim, but that it, it might introduce a bit of critical thinking if we stop seeing something like Scientology as this fringe crazy thing and more as just another manifestation of our human nature. And what does that say about us? What does that say about what I believe? What does that say about my communities?
1: Well, it would be nice if there would be a little bit more self reflection out there because I've often said that it is um, disappointing in a way to have people respond to you know the, the 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 content I've produced you know talking about Scientology or other groups with oh what a bunch of morons those guys are. Oh, they're yeah. so stupid! Oh, I would never fall for that. Oh, boy, you'd have to be an idiot to fill in the, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, right? And when you right. approach, when you, when you, when you look at these things, when you look at these experiences or these groups from a, a point of view of how intellectually superior or morally superior you are, um, I, you, you really are missing the point because it's not, a, it's not, that's not what it's about. There aren't any human beings in this world who are above being fooled. There are no yes. human beings who are who don't have implicit and explicit biases. There are no human beings who don't have you know prejudices, who don't have um, shortcomings, right? Who don't have emotional. Yes. Uh, psychological problems, you know, that that they could use some assistance with, right? There's just, in other words, there's nobody who's perfect. I mean, really, like, come on, you know. Let's, and I, and I used to joke when I was in Scientology, and 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 ha- even after coming out, you know, the guy who comes in and is like, "You can't fool me. I am impervious to your mental tricks and Jedi mind tricks and this sort of thing." That was the first guy I wanted to talk to because they're they're so insecure they have to announce to you, you know how secure they are yes. right and uh and those and those are the guys who who are going to fall first right because they're because they're they're not as uh you know intellectually superior or morally superior as they like to tell themselves that they are and and it, and this isn't about bringing people down a notch it's about a correctly estimating where all of us live. We are all human beings, and we are driven by our emotions. We are not driven by logic. We are driven by what makes us feel good. We will, if given a choice, we will almost universally buy into that which already agrees with our biases, With agrees with, in other words, agrees with what we already think. We constantly judge and gauge other people and other things by what we already think. Mm. Right. And, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to challenge our own beliefs inside, you know, our own the conversation that happens in our own head is most often how does what I'm looking at agree with what I already know, not how does what I'm looking at challenge what I already know, you know, we will take the path of least resistance, you know, I think 99% of the time, right, because it's easy to do. And because it reinforces and confirms what we already want to be true. So that's just our nature. That's how we, it's literally how we think. And how, and it's just in, it's, that's just the natural flow of our thought processes. So it takes training, it takes work, it takes education to overcome that natural flow. And that's another thing I've been learning about over these last few years, trying to figure out, why was I so stupid? Why did I buy into all of this? Why did I get fooled so hard that I dedicated 25 years of my life to something that was a total scam? How could I have been such an idiot? And I'm the first to admit I was an idiot. I'm not saying I wasn't. I'm just saying that it's not constructive to approach it that way. You know, and, and just call Scientologists or Christians or Muslims or flat earthers a bunch of stupid idiots. I mean, yeah, sure, fine. You can use whatever label you want, but it's not it's not a constructive thing to approach it that way. It's much more constructive to go, well, what is where where's the intellectual fall down here and how can I help them to overcome that? And that's sure. that was what drove me to go visit. talk to flat earthers is not because i wanted to go laugh at them it was because i wanted to find out what 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 drives thinking like that and how and how do we help them out of that because if you used to be a conspiracy theorist well guess what so did i i was Mm. i was hardcore i know all about 9-11 truthers i know all the arguments i know all of the 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 things that they the, the things they say because i used to be one but the but the thing that gives me hope is you used to be one i used to be one but we were able to come out of that mode of thinking which means that however delusional somebody's beliefs can become they can also overcome that delusion with education with facts with reason and with critical thinking and yes. you know and that's that is that gives me a lot of hope for people you know it gives yes. me it gives me a reason to keep doing what you know what I'm doing for you to do what you're doing and and to to try to you know spread the word so to speak about critical thinking and 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 not confuse it with denialism you know that's why I've, I, I did a whole thing on that because you know there are like I said there are people who Think that they're being critical thinkers, right? You know, but but it it really takes some real, you know, challenging uh, prejudices within your own head to to really be a a true critical thinker.
0: Yes, and you know, I think the great lesson here is that we can never be too skeptical of our own mind. Exactly, we can, and and we take for granted our interior environment, and we assume that our perception is simply true, and we have this innate bias. And, and I think that letting that go unexamined is one of the most dangerous things that we can do. Now, I I just have to, uh, I guess, put a flag down here and just make a quick note to my listeners who might be confused, since this is a podcast from a Christian. I call myself an esoteric Christian. I still consider myself religious, but I no longer make truth claims about the outward world that go beyond science. And I've written quite a bit about This and Chris Shelton and I had a long conversation about this on his podcast, which you can go listen to. I'll put that in the show notes. So, you know, to listeners who might be confused about where I stand, because it sounds like I might be very anti-religion in this interview. For me now, it is an interior mythology and, and so, for people who who might be confused, especially in light of some of the other episodes i I have up where I interview very devout Christians, I will get into that more and and so don't be turned off of this interview because I seem to be totally uh against religion in this interview. I'm not completely, so I just had to put that flag down and so we can move on <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. So let's talk more about your experience in Scientology. Uh, sure. You you joined the Sea Org, so there there are two experiences that you've had that I want to talk about. You joined the Sea Org, and you were put into the Sea Org. I forget the the actual term for it, but their disciplinary camp or their disciplinary prison, for lack of a better term. Could you talk about that? Sure. Okay, so the sea organization, and that's
1: S-E-A organization, as in the ocean, as in boats, and, you know, that sort of thing. The sea organization is a paramilitary group within the the Church of Scientology that's sort of the core ecclesiastical, you know, uh, I, I guess core group of Scientology. They're responsible for the management of Scientology, for delivering the, the confidential upper level stuff. They safeguard all that and keep it confidential and of course they did a pretty poor job because it's all over the internet now but back in the up until the you know internet came around they were they they worked very hard to to keep all that stuff under wraps and um and basically they're the most devoted dedicated guy, you know people and the the life of a of a Org member is one of of duty and devotion to L Ron Hubbard and to Scientology It's, um, it's full time, 24 seven. You're not, you know, they, they, they feed you, they, they clothe you, they birth you. I mean, it's very, very disciplined life and it's set up kind of, uh, like I said, paramilitary. So you have, uh, ranks and ratings and people salute each other and say, yes, sir, no, sir. And this kind of thing. And, and, um, and it's pretty interesting, pretty interesting setup. Anybody who's seen the, the photos of the big blue buildings in Los Angeles, uh, that's that's a Sea Org base, right? They refer to them as Sea Org bases. There's about five of them around the world, and and that one in Los Angeles, the Big Blue Complex, is the one where I worked. And um, and I started working there when I was 25, and I and I did that for um, 17 years. I worked for the Sea Organization, and uh, and it would be impossible for me to you know even easily summarize all the experiences of 17 years, but. It was a very mm-hmm. hardcore existence. You're, you're a religious volunteer. It's very, I, I guess uh, in some ways it's comparable to being in a monastery or something, right? In that that's, that, that's, that, that's one of the only comparisons I can make where people would understand how different it is from normal life. Right. If you go join a monastery, you're giving up going to the movies every week. You're giving up, you know, reading books whenever you want. You're giving up having relationships the same way other people do. You're 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 entering into a life of of servitude and rule following and discipline, very harsh discipline. And that's what it's like in the Sea Org. They don't walk around in brown robes. They walk around in uniforms, you know, uh, but it's it's very much like that kind of attitude, and uh, and of course, instead of being dedicated to you know God, they're dedicated to Scientology, mm. and and I did that because I really truly believed that you know joining that group was necessary for me to fulfill my obligations and responsibilities as a Scientologist to save the world. Because that's, that was the level I was at at that point when I was 25 years old. I, I thought Scientology was all about saving the world from itself. And I thought we had the only methods and tools to do that. And that is what L. Ron Hubbard preaches. I mean, when you get past the initial, let's make your life a little bit better and let's get you to talk to your kids. When you get past that level and you get into the real Scientology, then Hubbard's language becomes much stronger and it's much more dedicated and devoted to you know this is the only subject that can that can save mankind you know we're not we're not playing hubbard said things like you know we're not playing a game in scientology this isn't you know something uh, on the same league as you know a bowling club or or you know going out to the horse races or something this isn't something that's simple and cute and fun it's 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 de- it's a deadly serious activity right and, uh, you know, the, the future of every man, woman, and child on the planet and your own future, and you know, for eternity depends on what you do here and now with and in Scientology, right? I mean, this is the kind of phrasing he would use. So you become very, you know, if you buy into all of this, and I did, then you become very devoted to it. And so, just, you know, giving up, you know, the, the normal niceties of life became a sensible thing to do because I was going to be part of saving the world and wasn't that a great thing you know you know I I have I've, I've said before that you know there's nothing more dangerous <laughs> to the world at large than than a young person who thinks they're saving it you know <laughs> because Oh yes <laughs> <know>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could relate to that you know I was a missionary and in, in youth with a mission which I'll do future episodes about and i t- i was totally on a quest to save the world and so i get that
1: yeah that's and that's and that is a mindset you know it's this and it's and it's disturbingly close to you know the mindset of terrorists it's disturbingly close to the mindset of a of an islamic jihadist right because mm. they they truly think that what they're doing is is not they they don't think that what they're doing is nuts you know, they think that what they're doing is in the service of the greater good. And that is, that's why I say it's very dangerous to, to get somebody into that kind of mindset, because that's, that's where their head goes, is they think that the most extreme and insane and crazy things are totally and wholly justified, uh, and it's a very, end justifies the means kind of approach to life. So, you know, and so that was my mindset going into the Sea Org. So when we talk about, you know, the abuses of the Sea Org and the and the human rights violations and the human trafficking and the the absolutely insane things that go on in the Sea Org, you know, the, the members feel that, you know, they're they're willing to endure some of these abuses and go through some of this nonsense because they they are dedicated to a cause that they believe in, right? And I just wanted to make that clear up front because it otherwise, you know, if you try to compare the C organization to, you know, uh, well, a, a martial arts club or something, you know, some hobby that a person has, then it would just sound, and then it, it it's just nuts, you know. But it's not that; it's a it's a much more dedicated thing. So, so I joined the C org and I worked for it for many many years, and I endured a lot of abuses, physical abuses, emotional, mental abuses. And part of that experience was after about uh, 10 years of having been involved in it, I, I, um, I got really burnt out. You know, I, I was really physically and emotionally exhausted. I had some, some, some moments of, of real, real insanity. I mean, really, my head was just in a really bad place. One of the um, teachings of L. Ron Hubbard, one of the more insidious and really destructive teachings of him is that if you are critical... Uh, you know, in other words, criticizing something, especially Scientology, the reason that you are doing that is not because your criticism is justified, not because somebody's doing something to you, not because you're being victimized. The only reason that you are criticizing a group like Scientology is because of your own moral transgressions, what they call in Scientology your own overts your overt acts and 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 in Scientology the word overt or overt act is when you do something wrong you do something you know is wrong you do something that is a is against the morals and and rules of of whatever group you're part of well, so for example if you you know you know that when you are Stealing money from somebody else that that's wrong, right that's that's called an overt okay if you know if if you were to do and, and this could be very, very subtle, right? It can get down to the to the level of you know you're supposed to be doing your job and you slack off for a few minutes, maybe you play solitaire on your computer or something or maybe you you know goof off with another coworker and you know for you know ten minutes or a half hour or something like that where you're just not getting any work done at all. You're just totally slacking off. Well, that could be considered an overt. Wow. That could be considered a you know a, a bad thing, right? Because you're there to work, and you're slacking off, and somebody has to come along and tell you to get back to work. And so now you've you've committed an overt. Wow. Right. Okay. Okay. So any kind of wrongdoing, and this can even get into you know in a subtle way, it can even get into the way you're thinking. Mm. Right, Because if you're thinking, Hubbard says that if you're thinking critical thoughts, if you're thinking criticism, that means that you've committed overts, right? And you are wow. basically, you know, your, your bad acts are the reason why you're criticizing what's going on. Now, the way this gets really insane is if your, let's say your superior officer, your senior, is in your face, yelling and screaming at you, making you scrub toilets with a toothbrush until three in the morning because you're not getting your work done or you're not making your quotas. And they start, let's say that in a moment of, you know, uh, high passion or something, your senior, you know, hits you, right? They get so mad. They get so, they're so under pressure. They have so many stresses on them that they're freaking out and they start beating on you. Oh my God. Right? Okay. Now, this happens. I, this happened to me. Wow. Right? Okay. And um, And so you're now being physically abused at the hands of your superior as part of your membership in this group. Now, if your response to that is to go to another superior or to go to an ethics person or to go to somebody else in the organization and say... You know, my superior, my senior is is nuts and is hitting me and and and, 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 and this is crazy and sign I don't I can't believe that this is what the C org is and, and, and this is the Sea org, there's something wrong with the Sea org because this is happening. The response is not going to be, Oh my God, we need to handle your senior. I can't believe he hit you and oh gee, this is crazy. And maybe you're right. Maybe there's too much stress in this environment. and Maybe something needs to be reviewed here. No, 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 no. None of that's going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to be told, you're being critical of your senior. What are your overts? What did you do? Wow. Right? Okay. It's all on you. It all comes back to you. And and I'm being very... uh, generous in describing how this all goes down i mean it's it's very very much made to be your fault it's sort of the ultimate and victim blaming i guess you could say it's like
0: the it's like the ultimate gaslighting.
1: yes that's exactly right yes and this is a very this is not this what i'm talking about is not a a small point of minutiae that you have to dig deep into scientology to find this is this is very, very accepted. This is dogmatic in Scientology. If you're critical, if you're thinking critical thoughts, if you're criticizing anything, it's only because of your own overts. Mm-hmm. And so this gets turned on Scientologists all the time, right, as a control mechanism. The organization is never at fault. L. Ron Hubbard is never at fault. The current leader, David Miscavige, never does anything wrong. He is flawless and perfect. Mm -hmm. And it is only you, the person who is daring to criticize the leadership, who would be at fault. Right? Wow. Now, I'm talking about all of this because this is the setup for this prison program I told you about, or that you asked me about, called the RPF, or Rehabilitation Project Force, okay? And this is a group, it's a subgroup within the Sea Org where you're sent, where you go, if you are perceived to have become, well in their terms, if you become treasonous to the Sea Org, if you start doing things or that are that are violently, you know, radically breaking the rules and are disaffected with the organization, are not, you know, towing the line, you know, you're not following in lockstep with everybody else, this is where you're gonna end up. And it is um as extreme as the Sea Org is to normal life, is how extreme the RPF is to Sea Org life, mm. if that makes it sense. It does. Right? Yeah. You are segregated apart from everybody else. And it, it, the RPF is its own unit, its own group. They, they are stuck in the, the, uh, the basement, basically. They're, they're out of sight of everybody else. You are never supposed to even be seen, really, by other Sea Org members. And yet, there you are on a Sea Org base so they have to segregate you into some area that nobody else goes to and so you end up down in the basement you know in the bowels of the base that's where you sleep that's where you do your work right if you go outside to do it, you know okay first off the schedule for the RPF is is they are is there's 5 hours a day of what's called redemption time where you you, you do Scientology stuff to to basically confess all of your sins, all of your overt acts, and you spend, you know, months and months, years doing this, um, because they they kind of roto-rooter your entire life. Every aspect of your entire existence is put under a microscope to get every single overt you've ever committed in your entire life. Right? It's not just yeah, I slacked off a couple times at work. That's not no. That's not anywhere near good enough. You got to look at your whole life. So. So 5 hours a day is spent doing that and the rest of the day is spent doing hard physical labor whether it's you know intensive cleaning or building furniture or renovating the facilities or setting up for their Scientology events and 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 it's it's running you have to run everywhere you go there's no walking there's no slacking if you're caught standing around for even a few seconds not working then you have to drop and give me twenty, or run around the block, take a lap, and and there's it's just a, an extremely harsh discipline. Wow! So that's your that becomes your day to day existence. That there's no time off. There's no if you're married, you're segregated from your spouse. There's no seeing your spouse. It's it's twenty. It's a it's it's full 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 time doing the RPF and you're living with the RPFers, you're eating with the RPFers, you're sleeping with the RPFers. Like the the men have a, have dorms and the women have dorms, right? Okay. They're segregated. There's even if you go with your spouse, even if somehow you and your spouse end up on the RPF together, you you don't get to be husband and wife. You're 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 segregated from each other, right? Sure. So, you know, there's not supposed to be any distractions or anything. There's no days off, there's no holidays, there's no... All of this stuff becomes meaningless on the RPF. Christmas is just another day, you know, Thanksgiving's just another day. There's not, you know, you have 20 minutes for lunch, 20 minutes for dinner is as how much time you have to eat, it's all communal, and uh, and you're just working your ass off, you know, and uh, it's quite the program. They only, like I, I compared the Sea Org to a monastic existence... I would compare the RPF to a Chinese re-education camp or a North Korean re-education camp. It's, I've read about those wow. things, and that, that is what, this, what the RPF is like. It's, it's a mental, emotional indoctrination, you know, and, and,
0: and physical. Yeah, okay, so on top of just the brutal rigorousness of it, there was also physical abuse. Yes, Oh yeah,
1: for sure. Well, I broke my like for example, I broke my finger. Um, we were we were carrying uh, some some you know eight by fours uh, wood you know pieces of wood right, and they fell and they they fell on my middle finger and it broke it. And I I've never broken a bone before in my body. I was pretty fortunate as a kid, and uh, I've never experienced pain like that. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I had this this fracture this this the, not fracture but split in the the top bone of my my middle finger. Well, you know, I could forget going to the hospital, right? That wasn't going to happen. I was I was told to tough it out. Oh my god. Yeah, so that was so that that first night that I had my broken finger, I I I mean it needless to say, I had a very hard time getting any sleep at all because I was in so much pain. Mm. It's kind of hard to express, you know, like describe that kind of pain, you know, when you have a broken bone and it's not treated, it is Unbelievably painful. You wouldn't think such a small thing could could consume your attention, but that's all I could think about. Anyway, the next morning, uh, the person, the Sea Org member who was sort of overseeing the RPF, heard about that, and she she was you know like, what? What are you talking about? Of course you're going to the hospital. And she sent me on my way. But the guys on the RPF who were overseeing, you know, it's a self policing sort of group, and so the guys who were in charge of the RPF who were who were themselves RPFers, uh, they were the ones who said, yeah, no, just tough it out. You don't need to go to the hospital. You're just being a pussy, right? And uh and so that was, you know, the, the it finally took somebody out outside the RPF to to bring some sense into it and go, yeah, no, of course you're going to the hospital. And uh, but even then, you know, when you're the, the there were no there were no pain medications, there were no uh, you know, I still had to work. Oh my God! You know, yeah, it was. It's a, it's a hardcore group. I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, it was not an easy thing to get through, and I did get through it. And it, and it's kind of a perverse level of pride I still have that I actually endured that whole thing and got through it. Seventy-five percent or so of the people who go onto that program end up leaving the sea org entirely. They don't make it through it because it's a whole series of steps you have to do before they'll let you graduate from okay. it. Right. You're supposed to basically come out the other side proving that you are a loyal, valuable Sea Org member who will tow the party line and not not ask questions and not, you know, and and do your duty, right? That's the whole point of the RPF. Mm. And uh, you know, and it would have been far better for me to have just, you know, gone out the back door at that point. But I I was married. I loved my wife at the time and I wanted to see her again. And I and if I left the RPF, I never would because I would have left the Sea org, and she was in the Sea org, and so that would have been the end of my marriage. And I also would have lost every friend I had because every friend I had was a C org member, right? Because when you're in a life like that, you don't have outside friends. You barely see you see your family. So it was, uh, you know, it's a very exclusive, you know, group. And uh, and you and again. You know, the whole reason I was there is because I thought that by being there and doing what I was doing, I was contributing to saving the world. So Sure.
0: And so and so you were there and other members were there of their own volition.
1: Yes. You have to yeah, you, you do. And you can leave, right? I mean you can say, I've had enough of this and I want to leave and and you have to go through this whole process and it's very grueling to leave, but they'll let you do it. Lawrence right? who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and, 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 you know, is just a great guy. He wrote a book called Going Clear. And he subtitled it Scientology and the Prison of Belief. And that is the real prison that you live in when you're in Scientology. It is a prison of belief. You are, you are told so many lies in Scientology. You are, you are given so many distortions by L. Ron Hubbard and by Scientology leadership that you are really living in a bubble world. It's a fantasy world, right? In the same way that conspiracy theorists that we were talking about earlier are living in a bubble world. They're, what they think is going on in the world is not a true reflection of reality, which is why you know many people look at conspiracy theorists and they go, you're nuts, right? It's because they're looking at the world through, through insanely crazy goggles and so is so are scientologists and that's and, and and it takes a number of of deceptions and lies to get somebody into a mindset like that like like the mindset i was in where i felt like i deserved what was happening to mm. me right mm-hmm. so um and and one of those lies is that whole thing i explained to you about overt acts that's total horseshit right it's total nonsense that you are not responsible for every single thing that happens to you. You can be victimized by other people. That's, that's the truth. Now, you can take that to an extreme and, and and be a victim to the nth degree and and never take any responsibility for anything, but that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, wives can be abused by their husbands, Husbands can be abused by their wives. I mean, it it can go both ways, right? People can be victimized, and it's not always their fault when that happens. And to make it out to be that it's always their fault is wrong. It's morally wrong. It's intellectually dishonest. And yet, that's what Scientologists believe. Mm. And that is just one of many lies that are told to Scientologists to get them into that state of mind.
0: Cool. So... Well, not cool, but but you know you know yeah. what I mean. Okay, so so since <laughs> totally. so since we're having this conversation, uh, one can assume that you got out of it. and I did. And yes. so uh, as as we come to the the end of our conversation here, we have about thirty more minutes. Uh, I would like to talk about that, and I would like to to ask you some of the questions from Twitter, from the listeners. Sure. And, and so let me just go ahead and ask you some of these questions and hear your perspective on it. Um, this is from Robbie Howell. Uh, does he pray? Do you do you pray? Uh, no. And did you pray? Nope.
1: Scientology, no prayer, no prayer in Scientology. So
0: this actually brings me to one of my one of the questions that I've had about Scientology. And I've I've recently kind of gotten an answer to this. But do Scientologists believe in a God? Uh sometimes. It's, it's not part of the dogma. So when it comes to God, Scientologists can basically be agnostic or atheist. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Well, let me, let me put it this way. And this will actually answer the question more accurately. In the world of Scientology, it's all about improving your spiritual self and improving your ability and awareness as a spiritual entity. That is the goal of Scientology. It is personal spiritual freedom and immortality. The definition that L. Ron Hubbard wrote for the ultimate state of existence as a Scientologist, which what he calls an operating Thetan or an OT. The definition of an OT in Scientology is a a being who is at knowing and willing cause over matter, energy, space, time, life, and form. And if you break all that down, it's not just word salad. That actually means something. It's It's a person who knows. And is, and is totally willing to be in charge of or at cause over matter, energy, space, time, life.
0: I mean, these are big. So basically, you become a deity.
1: That's exactly my point. That's exactly okay. where I was going with that. Right? So, I mean, if that's not the definition of God, I don't know what is. So that's what Scientology promises its members. So if that's your idea of what you're doing, how is God important?
0: Right, right. So
1: that's, Scientol- that's Scientology. So you're
0: on a road to becoming God. You're believing in the God that you will become. Ex- exactly. Okay. That's
1: the, that's the carrot that they're offering.
0: Okay, that's really illuminating. Here's a question from Jessica Thepps. Did you repress doubts? And for how long and how? Uh, did you follow up with any of those doubts? Uh, yes, I did. Um, and
1: one of the reasons, in fact, one of the biggest reasons was that whole overt thing I was explaining to you, because that's that's you know, that's not just victim blaming. It's a way of controlling a person by by enforcing a prison of belief on them. Right. If uh, if you have doubts about the organization, that means you're thinking critical thoughts. Right. It means you're thinking in, in a critical way about the organization. And Hubbard built into the DNA of Scientology a mechanism to uh, cancel out or nullify those doubts by making it your fault that you're having those doubts. And so, of course, you're going to repress them because you think it's all because of the bad things you did. It's because of your sins. And so, you know, you're going to uh, excuse any wrongdoing that the organization's engaged in. You're going to excuse other people abusing you Because you think, that's my fault, I'm I'm the one who's responsible for it. And it took me after, I didn't really mention this before, but after doing three years of that RPF program and finishing it, I had confessed every sin I could imagine having committed in my entire life and in past lives. So I knew after the RPF, that if I was still thinking critical thoughts, <laughs> which I was, <laughs> that it that it was not because of my sins.
0: And they weren't going because to go away. Because I confessed away. every one of them. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, and yet here I was still seeing things wrong with what was going on around me. and And it took me having to do that program to break out of that level of indoctrination. I knew it wasn't me anymore. Wow. I knew it for a fact. I had proven it to myself. Yeah. It was not on me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is when I was able to acknowledge to myself, hey, there's something really
0: wrong going on here. Sure. Right?
1: And it still took me another 5 years to get out.
0: Wow. Okay, so so speaking of getting out, here's another question from from Jessica Thepps. This is the follow-up question. What was painful about deconverting, and was there healing? What was the healing of that experience?
1: Well, it's healing's an ongoing process. It's something I'll, I figure I'll be doing for the rest of my life. But what was deconverting like? Well, it sucked. I mean, finding out on the you know through internet research after I left the Sea Org, I I got on the internet and. I started finding out the truth about Scientology because if it's not been clear if anybody if any of your listeners are not clear on this idea and it hasn't been obvious yet Scientology doesn't let you go on the internet and look at stuff critical of Scientology, right? That's that's a big big no-no in any high control group. I mean not just Scientology. So if you go looking at, you know, you don't have as a Sea Org member, I didn't have access to the internet anyway, but at least not a lot of it, but um but I definitely was not looking at the Xenu stuff and I wasn't looking at the truth about L. Ron Hubbard and that kind of thing. So um so after I got out of the Sea Org and I didn't have those controls on me anymore, I was, you know, I was my own man and I and I was free to look at whatever I wanted to. And I still believed in Scientology and I still believed in its principles, even if I didn't want to work for the group anymore. But then I started looking at things, you know, that were, that were critical of Scientology, and I found out that L. Ron Hubbard flunked out of college. Mm. I found out that he wasn't a war hero. I found out that he didn't have war injuries that had caused him to, you know, delve into research that eventually became Dianetics. I found out all of that was a lie, and I mean, I'm telling you, there are a lot of lies about L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology. And once I started seeing all those lies for what they were, I felt a level of betrayal and anger that I still, to this day, cannot describe. Mm. I mean, to, to, to find out that, that you've been living a lie for 27 years, that's, that is a hard pill to swallow. You know, that's not red pill, blue pill. That's, that's, that's much worse. Yes. You know, and, and I felt so angry. I felt so betrayed. I felt like I was a pawn on a chessboard that had just been used and abused, literally abused, you know, for, for decades. And I was very upset. Of course. And so, you know, rightly so. And it. And that is why I started speaking out at first anonymously, until the church caught on and 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 got on to what I was doing, and then they you know basically shunned me and then they they declared me a suppressive person, and I lost you know a, a bunch of people that were very close to me, including a, at the time I had a fiance. I lost her because she was a Scientologist, and and I and I you know but it but it was a sacrifice that I had to make because I was now living with the truth. And as and as harsh as the truth might be, I will I will would rather have the truth than continue to live in a bubble world of deception and bullshit. And that was that was a choice that I made. And I and I would make it again, even though, like I said, I lost people that I loved Uh, and, and to this day still love. I mean, I still wish that those people would would somehow come to the same realization I did and and get out you know, and and some of them have. So I I've, I've reconnected with some people I knew over the years, but but anyway, point is that um, it was a hard choice. It was a hard time in my life. This was this all went down in uh, in 2013, and that was probably the worst year of my life. Wow. And and in some ways, the best year of my life because I I I opened myself up to the truth, and I discovered critical thinking, and I left all of that bullshit behind me. And I've been,
0: you know, doing a lot of work since then to recover from that. Cool. Yeah, it sounds really, really hard. And we've talked also about just the trauma of suddenly having zero certainty about your existence as an immortal soul. You got it. And that's right. And how deeply traumatizing it is to to basically realize your existence might be cut off for an eternity. You know, that there's a good chance that when you die, that's it. This is the one life you've got. And that is a deep, deep grieving process. It is incredibly hard and incredibly terrifying. Yes. Yeah, and that's something that that Christianity and Scientology have in common, is they both teach that we are... Immortal beings, and it provides the path of how to pursue that. And so, we've talked about that before my experience as a Christian, your experience as a Scientologist. So, one final question, also from Jessica Thepps What do you take away from your experience in Scientology about belief, religions, and faith in general? Oh
1: gee! Answer in ten words or less.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like you know we've we've covered this topic pretty well over the past hour and a half, but but I'd like to hear more clarifying thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we've really touched on a whole lot of that. Actually, my view of organized religion at this point is is pretty critical. I I do not have a lot of good things to say about organized religion in general, and faith is is a a difficult concept for me because i i have hope i don't have faith i have hope you know um there's a, and i believe that there are that there's a, that there's a big chasm of difference between those two things in other words you know if you go buy a lottery ticket you know what i mean you can have you can have a fervent belief that you're going to win the lottery right you can have faith that you're going to win the lottery and that's kind of strong that's a strong feeling right or you can have You buy it out of a sort of a hope. Maybe it'll happen. Wouldn't it be nice if that happened? Sure, I'll throw a dollar in. Wouldn't that be nice, you know? And that's kind of my view about a spiritual existence at this point is, you know, hey, that'd be nice. That'd be, I I, I hope that's the case, you know, but I can't really let myself believe it. I don't, I don't have faith in it, if that makes sense, right? Absolutely. I don't, I don't, I don't invest myself that way because because there's no evidence there's none there's none yeah i mean there just isn't any you know there are experiences that we all have and for lack of being able to contextualize those experiences and anything rooted in in a real world you know comparative we instead go to oh it's spiritual oh that must mean that there's something beyond you know and 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 I don't know, you know, there, there could be lots of different explanations for those experiences that we have, and I don't pretend to have answers to them, and I'm not a naysayer, I'm not a person who says, well, there isn't a, a God, there isn't a spiritual existence, I'm absolutely sure of that. The truth of the matter is, I'm not absolutely sure of anything anymore. And and I And I, you know, judge things based on the facts and evidence and reason that I have, And that I can perceive. And I think that's really the best that all of us can do. And I think if we're being intellectually honest with ourselves and others, that's about as much certainty as any of us can really have. You know, I think if we if we pretend to to have more than that, uh, we're really just kind of fooling ourselves, you know. Yeah. Um, And so I I have hopes uh, that there's more to our existence than just what we can see, feel, hear, you know. And I hope that we continue to live after our body dies. I think that would be awesome. But, you know, if that's if this is all there is, well, it's not gonna particularly shock me at this point, you know? And I think that was the biggest loss that I had in in this whole thing is is losing that certainty
0: and losing that 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 belief, you know. Yeah, that I that faith. I completely relate to that. And yeah, like you, I I have hope but I just cannot go beyond the claims of science. And while science is simultaneously incredibly illuminating, is maybe the most powerful tool humanity has ever developed to understand the world around us, it is also a very limiting tool. And it means that we have to reevaluate all of the external truth claims that we have. And so while the scope of science is expansive, it is also very limiting in that we have to say I don't know about a lot of really difficult stuff, and that's hard.
1: It's very hard, Yeah, and yet it is the foundation of critical thinking to acknowledge that you just don't know something and to just be able to live with that.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: it's, it is very, very hard. It is not emotionally satisfying, which is why most people have a real hard time with it, and why they cling to their religious beliefs. I mean, let's just be really straight here. You know, they don't know that there's a God. They don't know that these things are real. But they have faith. They have a, a belief. And it's a fervent belief because it makes them feel good. And I got, I have no real problem with that, really. Except when they start saying that their beliefs are so sure and so right that I have to live with those. Yes. And I and I just go, dude, sorry. No, you lost me there. (laughs) Right. You know, I you believe whatever you want. I literally I got nothing on it. Yeah. But don't don't start thinking that that you're so right that you get to tell me what to do about it. You know what I mean? that's that's where we're crossing lines that are are, I now find
0: unacceptable. Yeah. Or when we're legislating.
1: Oh, my God. The ultimate expression
0: of that. Yes, exactly. So before we wrap up, I just have. One final question: Is there anything good that you've taken from your experience in Scientology? It sounds like it was a horrible, traumatic experience that you're going to spend a lifetime healing from. Uh, is there any positive?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I helped a lot of people. Um. You know, you don't do something like that for 27 years and not have some good good experiences and some and some good times and. I joined the Church of Scientology to help people, and I accomplished that goal in a number of ways over the years. I helped some people get off drugs who didn't want to be on drugs. I helped salvage some marriages. I helped uh, a lot of individuals with personal problems that they were having. And, and in many ways, I did that despite Scientology, not because of it. Yet I still did those things because I was in Scientology and I was taking on a position and role of helping people as a Scientologist. So, you know, I don't want to take any of that back. I don't want to, you know, I don't want those people to, you know, to be addicted to drugs who didn't want to be. I don't want those marriages to have fallen apart that shouldn't have. I, I'm proud of that work, you know. Sure. You know, so was it, you know, it doesn't balance out. It doesn't make everything that was wrong now right because there was some good in it. Uh, like I said, a lot of that was despite Scientology, not because of it. But I still hold on to those experiences and I still know that I did some good. And I, and I don't regret that. And I don't regret the whole experience really because it put me in a position that I'm in now where I am able to help a lot more people in a much more honest way and and I, and maybe if i hadn't experienced all the things i experienced i wouldn't have the strength of will and resolve to do what i do now as a podcaster and youtuber and an advocate you know against these kinds of high control groups so you know i think i think that you know in the end i'm hoping that my life will be a net positive on this whole thing and i'm and i'm working to make it so
0: yeah th- if there is a redemptive arc for you and me and our difficult experiences with these religious systems then there can definitely be a redemptive arc for other people and All is not lost if they find themselves really struggling with these questions, right? Yeah, cool Well, we are out of time. I need to go to work and and feed my small mountain town <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, thank you, Chris, so much for coming on. I've really, really enjoyed this. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk again soon.
1: Absolutely. Anytime you want.